Several heavy-set chandeliers hung from the vaulted ceiling and cast an enchanting glow on the golden ballroom floor below. Gracefully gliding across the surface of the auric floors are hundreds of men in extravagant suits, holding the hips and hands of women whose gowns tickle the floor. While plenty of the suits and dresses worn could be seen by several individuals throughout the waltz, each member of the dance was distinguished by an ostentatious masquerade mask. A gilded lion held in his arms a fragile alabaster swan. A deceitful fox stole a cardinal from a hound, then traded her off briskly for a doe he pried from a flamingo. Meanwhile, a cunning owl fluttered about with a peacock, whom ironically failed to catch the eye due to the presence of a queerer individual. A woman who wore a plain painted doll's mask, pure white in the face, dead black eyes, and full red lips. Yet while she may be strange to you or I, amongst the flair of the party, she moved practically unnoticed until she chose to make herself known. Periodically, she would approach one of the men, whom, like the fox, sought several partners to dance with that night. As she stepped in time to the rhythm of the waltz, she caught the attention of her desired target, who quickly wrapped her in their arms. While the two became one in an eternal dance, the woman in the doll's mask would laugh and trace her hands up and down the length of her partner's arms and down his back, her partner melting at her touch. She murmured behind the mask, words which were lost to the waltz, yet her partner decided to peel away their mask and offered her the ornate bear. The woman then removed her mask, her face hidden by the rest of the dancers. She draped the doll mask over his head and then slipped away into the crowd to find her next partner. After the bear, it was the fox. However, as she began her dance with the fox, she can be seen wearing a second doll's mask. A grotesque image then entered the scene. A man whose mask covered the entirety of his head and seemed so real that it appeared to be a severed ram's head in earnest, gutted and tanned. This man parted the dancers before him and descended upon the doll-masked bear. Forcefully, the ram grabbed him by the shoulders and began to bleat and make frantic motions. The music stopped abruptly, and all turned to listen to the ram. He shook the man who wore the doll-mask again, and the tide of animals descended upon him. Hooves, claws, wings, and fingers clutched and grabbed at the man until they rent his flesh and left nothing behind but the painted doll-mask, which clattered to the floor. Soon, the woman who made the bear a doll continues with the fox and once again offers him her mask. The fox accepts without hesitation, despite his fingers still soiled with the bear's blood. As the fox slipped on the doll mask, he found the same fate awaiting him. The ram found him and bleated to the others until they complied and killed the fox. The woman continued her trend, turning a rabbit, a crocodile, a falcon, a panther, a wolf, a steer, and a snake, each into a doll, each animal crumpled before the ram and its flock. Finally, as the last mask fell to the floor, everyone in the hall vanished. 
The music of the waltz continued to eerily play over the sea of masquerade masks, which now littered the crimson floor. Ezra shot up in his bed, sweat pouring down his brow. He shook his head and stumbled to the bathroom, where his shaking hands poured a glass from the faucet. The rest of the day passed rather quickly with very little of note. Clergymen gathered their belongings and boarded the train. The ride consumed most of the day as they took frequent stops at Augsburg, München, Passau, Linz, Wein, West Neustadt, Graz, and finally at Klagenfurt. During their ride, Alistair poured over several tomes which he pulled from his luggage. Elijah and Silas played a game of cards while Ezra silently prayed and Herodias cleaned her two revolvers. Once they arrived in Klagenfurt, Alistair departed from the group and engaged the local Hungarians in their native tongue. After a quick discourse, he guided the others to a carriage. As the sun began to sink over the hills, the clergyman loaded the back of the wagon and rode for hours south of the city. The driver favored silence, but the longer they rode, the more he began to speak up, at first seemingly to comfort his horses, then more so to reassure himself. The chill winds cut through their clothes, and they shivered in the back of the carriage until eventually it stopped in the middle of the road. The driver looked back at the group and called out in Hungarian. Alistair approached the driver, and after the two had a brief conversation, he returned to the others. He said he won't go any further. Why did he stop? He says evil lives there. Unload the carriage, he's not going on. No one moved at Alistair's words. However, when Silas repeated the same instruction, the back of the carriage sprung to life, and the members quickly unloaded their luggage beneath the light of Herodias's lantern. If we follow this road, we should reach Durenbar no less than an hour. Did he say anything else? When I asked him what he was afraid of, the driver told me that the devil has taken the form of a traveling woman. How quaint. Did he mention a name? None came up. With the last of the luggage removed from the back of the cart, the driver coaxed his horses around and cracked his whip. Quickly he escaped from what little light Herodias's lantern provided, and soon the clapping of the hooves on the dirt road faded to nothing. An eerie silence fell over the group as they traveled the winding mountain road until the lights of a small town dotting the crest of one of the hills came into view. Seeing the light, Ezra breaks the silence. Alistair, if you are sure she is not a witch, have you come across the answer to what Frau Haas might be during our travel? Only a foolish man is sure of anything, Ezra, and as I am not a fool, I cannot be certain she isn't a witch. However, everything we've gleaned from the bishop's report seems to point away from that conclusion. Instead, I find it more feasible that she is a child of death. A child of death? You mean like something that's already died, right? So how do we kill something that doesn't want to stay dead? Purify it with fire. If it's the body that refuses to die, burn the walking corpse. If it's a spirit, anchoring the creature to this world, remove its reason to linger. Destroy a trinket, burn a diary, or withdraw its soul from its phylactery. Once we reach Durenbarl, head to the graveyard, find the corpse of the woman and burn it. That'll solve the problem, and we can be back on track to hunting down the Undertaker. Sounds like a plan. After we meet up with Bishop Martin, I'll have you and Herodias head to the graveyard to dispose of the corpse. Meanwhile- I don't need her with me, and I don't want to see the bishop. 
doesn't matter if you need her or not. We don't travel alone. You mean we don't travel alone unless you're Herodias in a whorehouse? If you wanted to come along, Elijah, all you had to do was ask. <laughs> Maybe if you're lucky, she'll let you sit in the corner and watch. Alistair, why don't you want to see the bishop? Something the driver said. What did he say? Merely that it is improper for someone like myself to walk freely through Durdenbar without shackles rattling around my wrists. I see. Then I can't allow you to travel alone. Herodias is going with you. I don't need to- I know you don't, Alistair. Please, just take her with you. Be safe. Alistair glared at Ezra, but instead of providing a retort, he chose to lower his gaze. Silas, I want you to interview the families of the victims. If we can establish a pattern, we can anticipate Antoinette's next move. There won't be a next move once I burn her corpse. A wise man once advised me never to be sure of anything. Just in case your plan doesn't work out, we'll need to know everything we can about Antoinette. What about me, Ezra? Keep Silas company, will you? And keep him out of trouble. I can do that. So, Silas, where do we start? Seems to me with Fraulein Pfizer. Okay. But why her? Anton Pfizer went missing when the witch's tongue was cut clean from her mouth. I'd like to see what there is to know about that. You know anything of the sword, Alistair? There are endless material components to memorize. Each spell or ritual is determined by the number of tactile components, the corporeal and rhetorical components involved, and the relationship of all of these components there within. Asking me to determine what ritual or spell this tongue is based on would be equivalent to asking an architect to identify a building by looking at just one brick. Although I doubt it's a ritual. More likely, the removal of the tongue was symbolic. Symbolic? Clearly, Herr Pfizer knew something our apparition didn't want to get around. Silas is right. If you must poke your noses about, I'd start there and find whatever secret Herr Pfizer took with him to his grave. You mean, someone other than you can be right? I'm on the side of intellect and wisdom. It's about time someone- Alistair's wit was interrupted by the echoing voice of the town crier, which rang throughout the Austrian countryside. The witch Antoinette is to be burned. By decree of Bishop Edmund Martin, all are required to attend the witch's death. Not attending will be seen as a sympathetic act to the devil worshipper. The clergymen, without waiting for each other, began to sprint down the side of the winding road towards the town, their luggage trailing behind them. Only Alistair remained behind and called after them. Stop, you fools. If they burn the witch, this will all be over. Whether the wind consumed his words they were drowned by the crier, or the clergyman simply ignored him. The four continued with haste towards the town. Alistair swore and heaved his chest of books, stumbling after them. Heed the holy words of Bishop Edmund Martin. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Herodias, Taking the lead, sprinted past the half-timbered houses of the small town to where a large crowd had gathered, clogging the main street. Get out of my way! She fought through the crowd, and during the struggle, the lantern was knocked from her hands. She swore and grabbed the shoulders of those in front of her and forced entry through the crowd. As the other clergymen arrived at the outskirts of the group, Herodias disappeared within it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God! Resist the devil, and he will flee from you! Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. 
Make way! The witch Antoinette approaches! The constable's gruff attempt at assertion only seemed to bolster the chaos. At the sound of his words, women began to scream, men yelled, and the poor organization of the crowd shattered. Men and women stampeded over one another. Separated children cried for their mothers before several dozen feet came crashing down on them. Silas, Ezra, and Elijah did what they could to quell the chaos, and where their words fell on deaf ears, they reverted to protecting those they could. Cleanse ye hands, you sinners! Cast out the filth amongst you! Do not let the actions of one woman condemn you all! For the sake of Durenbar, for the sake of your loved ones, for the sake of yourselves, kill the witch! Through the fighting crowd, the witch Antoinette comes into view, her hands bound in manacles, a gag stuffed down her throat. Her nostrils flare as she struggles to breathe in short, heavy stints. Through the tattered strands of her greasy black hair, her watery eyes plead with any who dare to meet them. You did this! Yes, it is the witch who brought this to our town! Why won't you die? What did you do with my boy? Where is he? I'll kill you myself! Die and leave us be! Please, give me back my husband. I beg of you, please. Go back to hell, witch! A rock flies from the crowd and clips Antoinette across the forehead. She stumbles and collapses onto the ground. A bead of blood blossoms on her forehead, leaving in its wake a crimson tail as it rolls down her face. The crowd falls silent, staring at the witch's mortality as it drips onto the paved stones of the street. Herodias breaches the inner ring of the crowd circled around the witch as another voice cries out, Kill the witch! A stone flies through the air, then another, pelting the frail frame of Antoinette, who shrieks through her severed tongue and squirms. Herodias rushes over to the witch and shelters her body with her own. Stones crash against her back, and she cries out in pain. Herodias fights for her gun. As the rocks hail down upon her, she wrestles it free from the holster and fires a shot into the air. The crowd goes silent as the gunshot claims dominance over the night. Herodias slowly climbs to her feet and wipes the blood on her brow away with the back of her hand and then helps the witch stand. Do you think this is the will of God? To kill a helpless woman? I know you're scared. Trust me, I do. But do not be afraid. My name is Ava Drek. I am the Lamb of the Eleventh Order of the Clergymen, Agent Herodias, serving under the crook of Shepherd Ezra Sforza, sent here by Cardinal Angelo Busani himself, sent by God himself. Now put down your stones. Several stones clatter to the ground, yet before the pacifistic sentiment can permeate through the entirety of the crowd, a woman cries out, Get out of the way! That thing has killed my husband, and I will be damned if I stand aside and do nothing. I can't allow that. I understand your pain, but if you decide to take lethal action, I will do the same. The woman snarls at Herodias and hurls her stone at her. Herodias aims her weapon at the woman, but before she can fire the trigger, Silas emerges from the crowd and smacks her wrist so that the bullet sinks into the road. The first shot brought silence, the second inspired chaos. The crowd tramples over each other in their haste to leave the witch and the clergyman behind. The confusion spurns some to attack the witch, throwing their stones. Others approached Herodias with pitchforks or whatever improvised weapon they could reach. Slowly, the constables pushed them back, and those who pursued a violent path are arrested and carted off. 
The crowd thins rapidly, and within minutes the clergymen are left alone with the witch in the center of the town. That was real subtle, like Herodias. Ha, well it worked, didn't it? I got the witch, I got rid of the mob. What more do you want? Alistair walks past Herodias and looks over Antoinette. In a swift motion, he pulls out a handful of salt from a pouch at his side and blows it into Antoinette's face. As Antoinette screams and falls to the ground, Alistair squints his eyes and studies her reaction carefully. Herodias pushes him back and helps Antoinette to her feet, positioning herself between Antoinette and Alistair. Alistair, what the hell? Queer. Bishop Edmund Martin and two constables walk down the main street towards the gathered clergyman. The bishop looks over Alistair and scowls, then approaches the rest and offers his hand. Ezra and Silas both bow to the bishop and shake his hand. Elijah mimics the gesture after watching the others complete it. <clears throat> it's an honor to have the clergyman visit our small little town. I only wish it could have been under better circumstances. Don't we all? I am Shepherd Ezra Saforta, the leader of this flock. You have heard Agent Herodias introduce herself. These are Agents Elijah, Silas, and Alistair, respectively. Yes, well, at any rate, I am glad that amongst the chaos of the war, that the church can still hear a small voice like ours cry out for help. If there's anything that I can do to assist you gentlemen with your task, you have only but to ask. As for this one, if you hand her over to Robert, he will take care of her for you. And what are you going to do? Kill her again? Look, this clearly isn't working out for you. Let us handle it. We'll question her quickly, and when we're done, we'll give her back to Robert. Is it safe, Agent Herodias? If you remove the witch's restraints, then there's no guarantee that you, like so many before you, will not fall under her spell as well. Isn't the best course of action here to dispose of her at once? I don't want any reckless behavior to endanger the lives of my congregation. That's hardly the case. If you knew anything about witchcraft, you'd know that she needs corporeal, tactile, and rhetorical components to cast her spells. Remove the gag from her mouth, and if her hands remain bound, then there is no chance of us falling under her spell, Bishop. However, I honestly could care less about the fate of this one. In fact, I encourage my partners to release her into your custody at once to burn her body. It is the only thing binding her spirit to this world. He scowls at Alistair and takes a step back away from him. Edmund Martin tugs one of the constable's sleeves and Robert steps between the two. The bishop peeks out from behind the constable's shoulder and glares at Alistair. Yes, I should have expected one of your kind to be so well-versed in witchcraft. I know not of these spell components that you speak of, but it is clear to me that you have inherited the savage nature of your primal people and have begun practicing shamanistic tendencies of your own. I'm sorry, Shepherd Ezra, but as a law-abiding citizen of the church, I cannot allow such crimes to go unreported. Robert, please escort this thing to a cell for me. The constable, standing in front of the bishop, steps forward, hands outstretched to receive Alistair. But before he connects, Herodias intercepts and stands between the two. Her hand slides down to the hilt of her smith and wesson. Robert looks down at her hand, a sneer plastered across his face. Huh, really? 
Come on, lady, don't embarrass yourself. Pull that out and I'll have to kick your ass. And between you and me, I'd rather be doing something else to it. So how about you just hand him over and you and I can head over to King Frederick's, eh? Trust me, Bishop. Nothing can be more humbling to Alistair here than spending the night in a cell. Unfortunately for you, though, there's no evidence of any witchcraft committed here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but being knowledgeable on its own isn't a crime. So, we'll be taking Alistair and Antoinette with us. All beauty and no brains, eh? Being knowledgeable isn't a crime, Gorgeous, but disobeying the bishop is. You trust this thing to give you reliable information? I shall pray for your well-being and that your senses are restored with haste. For I do not doubt that it plans your destruction, and of course is working side by side with Frau Hosp here. You'd be a fool to believe that it is telling you the truth. Trust me, Shepherd Ezra, and hand him over to me for your own protection. Please, Bishop Martin, sir. We've known Alistair for a really long time. He's not a shaman, and he's not a witch sympathizer. He might be a little weird and mean sometimes, but he just reads a lot. That's all. I think if you take a moment to think logically for a second, sir, you'll see the truth. Logically? Why, I... What would a child like you know of logic? Now, now step aside, little boy. I cannot and will not allow that thing to possess your thoughts and worm its demonic ideals into your hearts. Robert, will you be a dear and bind it for me? <laughs> I'd be happy to. Elijah furrows his brow. His mouth opens to argue, but before he can, Silas places a hand on his shoulder and he quiets down. Robert moves forward again, and without giving him any attention, she puts a hand on his chest and easily keeps him at bay. Sorry, Bishop, but I won't allow that. Robert grabs her wrist on his chest and pulls her forward wrapping an arm around her waist and holding her tight against his body. If you wanted to touch me, all you had to do was ask. Rodius slams the heel of a foot down on top of Robert's foot. As he grunts and takes a step back, Herodias lazily reaches out to grab his wrist. With a quick snap, she spins Robert around, then plants her boot on his ass, knocking him to the ground. Her eyes never leave the bishop through the process. Robert scrambles to his feet, his cheeks flushed with anger. You try that again, bitch, and I'll kick in your teeth. You are aware that you are defying the will of the church to protect this thing, aren't you? Let me remind you, Bishop, that your will is not the will of the church. How dare you, Agent? Cardinal Bassani has appointed me in charge of the congregation in Durinbar. Must I remind you of that, Agent Herodias? So, in all matters concerning Durinbar, such as a witch and a witch sympathizer, such as your friend, my will is indeed the will of the church. Should I further remind you, Agent, that the will of the church, or in this case, my will, is your law. Now, step aside, or I'll have to report your treason to Pope Theodosius himself. Peace, brothers. Let's all take a breath and settle down. Bishop Martin, please listen to me. Alistair is an essential member of my flock, and without him, we can't do our job and protect your congregation from Frau Hosp. I appreciate your proceeding with caution, Bishop Martin. Honestly, it's refreshing. I can't tell you how many deaths we've seen that could have been avoided if only people were more cautious. But in this matter, 
If you wish the aid of the clergyman, you'll have to release Alistair and Frau Hosp over into our custody immediately. This factor, I'm afraid, is non-negotiable. And while we're on the subject, I encourage you to report to His Holiness immediately if you find any of my acts to be unholy. Until such time, though, I beg of you to proceed with serenity in all things. Now on the matter of us being under his spell, at any time if you desire proof of the clarity of my mind, Bishop Martin, let me know what I can do to ease your worries. The bishop stares angrily at Alistair, then shifts his gaze to Ezra and studies him for a long moment before he sighs. Very well, Shepherd Ezra. But if your flock fails in this matter, or when it shows its color, such as I have previously stated that it will, I will make sure His Holiness knows of your decision to release the witch sympathizer and the consequences that action has therewithin. It's my duty, you understand. Of course. A full report should be filed regardless. I see no reason why you should not tell His Holiness of our failures as well as our successes. Well, now that this pompous ass is done pointing his finger so frivolously, where would you prefer we burn her, Ezra? I could do it right here, but I'm sure you'd have some objection to the scent of burning flesh wafting through the streets. Robert darts forward, knuckles white and teeth bared. Herodias slides forward to intercept him, but as she removes her hand from Antoinette, the witch turns to run and Herodias is forced to lunge out of Robert's way to catch her. Robert grabs Elijah's shoulders and pushes him back into Silas. As Silas stumbles backward, Robert turns toward Alistair. Ezra jumps in front of him, but Robert throws his frail frame to the ground. Robert's fist slams against the side of Alistair's jaw, sending him to the ground. As Silas regains his balance, he steps in front of Robert, shielding Alistair. Ezra crawls over to Alistair and kneels, offering him a hand. He slaps the hand aside and stumbles to his feet. The bishop laughs and watches the chaos as his eyes twinkle with a sadistic gleam. <laughs> you are lucky, beast, that your friends are of such high prestige. Make no mistake, I would not tolerate your presence otherwise. Bishop Martin! You will not speak to him again that way, do you understand me? I don't need your help, Ezra. I'm sorry, I just wanted to help. Help? I've had enough of you pious men of faith. Alistair slinks off into the direction of the graveyard. As Ezra moves to go after him, Herodias places a hand on his shoulder and shakes her head. She follows after Alistair, handing Antoinette over into Silas's custody as she passes. What kind of help are you trying to give? You should have known this would have happened when you brought that animal into town. Alistair is not an animal. If anyone is, you are. Why the hell did you hit him? You better quiet down now, runt, before you find yourself getting the same treatment. Enough, Robert. Must I remind you who you are speaking to? These are the clergymen, after all, even if they have made some questionable relations. They are pious men of faith, and I will not have your blaspheming tongue talk down to them. Now, go follow those two, will you? And make sure they find their stay in Durenbar welcoming for someone of their status. Robert licks his lips as he watches Herodias move down the street. He then eagerly nods to the bishop and motions for the other constables to follow him. The four then trail in their wake and disappear down the long road. I apologize for his behavior, Shepherd Ezra. 
His zeal for God has blinded him to the presence of such honorable men of faith. Follow me, and I shall take you to the church and provide you with what you need. The bishop waves over his shoulder as he turns and heads off in the opposite direction towards the church. Ezra looks in the direction Herodias and Alistair disappeared, concern etched on his features. Silas places a hand on Ezra's shoulder and offers an uneasy smile, then follows after the bishop. Elijah waits with Ezra, who sighs, then turns to follow after him as well.